Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Cool. Good morning, church. Well, my name is Seth, and uh, I usually am up here for about five minutes, and now I'm up here for 30 today. So um, Matt is in uh, Florida. If you don't know, um, one thing that Matt and actually Josh are a part of, and um, Michael Clinton, I don't think he's here today, they are involved in providing clean drinking water uh, in Africa to hundreds of thousands of people and uh, through a nonprofit called Hydrating Humanity. So he is in Florida today um, speaking kind of as a fundraising event. So he asked me to speak with you uh, today. A couple of housekeeping items, actually just one. I really love this shirt, but sometimes when I get really animated, this button right here like comes undone. So just kind of the folks in the front row, like... Um, I don't want that to happen, and actually, nobody wants that to happen. So, you know, just kind of like, you know, or something like that if this comes undone because it's streaming and I think my folks are watching it. It'd just be embarrassing, you know what I mean? So, so we just want to move through those, some of those things. So, um, if you're like the person who wants to know kind of where we're going, I'll give you a little sneak peek. Um, you could go ahead and bookmark in your Bible if you have it. Um, we're going to be... Uh, mainly in Galatians, kind of moving fast through one and two, landing in chapter three. And then we're also going to be referencing back to uh, Genesis 15 and 17. And, you know, my goal today is that uh, our hearts would really be stirred in a new way for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it's just something good to revisit and hit and preach to yourself. And so um, I've honestly been really being stirred. And um, I want on us all to leave stirred for righteousness, for the kingdom of God, and to walk out our salvation in good works. So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for your spirit. And I ask God that you would come and reveal yourself to us in a new way. Amen. Really briefly, you know, God is a God of revelation, not a God of discovery. Did you know that? Discovery is the scientific method that you can push and prod and prove and figure out and like, oh, I get it now. Discovery is uh, the process where you go to a subject with the intensity of like using all of your mental power to figure it out. Okay, that's discovery. Revelation is the subject coming to you with the desire to reveal itself to you. That's completely different the way we approach God. We're not coming to God to figure it out. God is revealing himself to us. And we see this actually in, uh, where is it? I think it's uh, Matthew 16 where Jesus says, who do people say I am? He asks his disciples. And Peter goes, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father did. And so 
today as we're kind of getting into this, we are going to go into this with the posture of God reveal what's already true to us. Does that make sense? Okay. If it doesn't, that's okay. It will by the end. Um, for those of you that don't know, I was born in Winston-Salem and I taught fourth grade for a couple years, so there's nothing better way to start a sermon than with a children's book. And one of the books that I like is called A Fly Went By. Does anybody know this book? Oh, you lucky pe- Yes, yeah. The Youngs. This is like such a great book. I used to teach, use it to teach all these different like concepts and stuff like that, but uh, let's just jump into it and then we'll use it as an illustration. You got to start a sermon with a good illustration, okay? So, oh, that's not number one. Uh, do the very first one where it says, I sat by the lake and a fly went by. There we are. I sat by the lake uh, and looked at the sky, and as I looked, a fly went by. A fly went by. He said, oh, dear, I saw him shake. He shook with fear. Can you see which one the next one is with the fly? Yeah. And when I saw that fly go past, I asked him why he went so fast. I asked him why he shook with fear. I asked him why he said, oh, dear. He said, I must get out of here. The fly said, look, and you will see that frog. That frog is after me. Let's go to the next one. The fly went past. The frog came fast. I asked the frog, I asked him, why? Why do you want to catch that fly? And the frog says, the frog said, me? I want no fly, but I must hop, and this is why. That cat, that cat, he said, just look and see, that cat, he said, is after me. And then he is gone with one big hop, the cat ran up, and I said, stop. Now, stop, stop, stop. I told the cat, do not pick on the frog like that. And the cat says, uh, frog? I know no frog. I must get away from dog. Yeah, there it is. See, I got it kind of memorized, right? That's not so bad. Um, from, what we from dog? So the cat, the fly ran away in fear of the, uh, frog who ran from the cat, who ran from the dog. And if you kind of keep reading it, eventually it's like, it goes all the way back. It's super cute and ends up with, um, does anybody know? It's not a hunter. The hunter's actually running away from uh, a calf with like a, a bucket stuck on its head that's making a ruckus. Anyways, it's a super cute book. But kind of my illustration with that is sometimes you have to just like go back way far to understand what's happening now. You just have to go back. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go uh, pretty far back, all the way back really to Genesis uh, 15 and 17, and we'll get there in a second. You know, I spent uh, a little bit on t- uh, of time online preparing for this, and uh, I found if you spend any amount of time online, uh, you find that someone somewhere disagrees with anything there is anywhere. It may not be a shock, but I was like, really? It's it surprising. And um, if you don't know this, I, I grew up in the church. Uh, not that part. <laughs> that part's true. If you, but I've I found there's so many times it's like that the, the, there is a discussion or a question around things that I always kind of took for granted. It's like, what people? There's actually a question, and sometimes really good questions about things that I always took for granted. Um, but it's just been shocking to realize like, oh man, so people don't all believe the same thing about uh, the cross or about the Old Testament or whatever it is. It's like there's all these different questions, right? And it's honestly been really good for me to, to look at that. And if you don't know, there's a little bit of contention around the Old Testament. 
um, probably actually we even experience some of that in our own lives, you know, because it's like, um, well, except for Psalms and Proverbs, right? Because everybody loves Psalms and Proverbs. Those are like, those are the good children of the Bible, you know, you get to like, oh, everybody loves Psalm 23, right? Um, but there's some, because the question is kind of like, you know, you read all these stories about conquest or, um, you know, like women treat, uh, tricking like their relatives to like have a baby and like, all, and it's kind of like what, like, and then, you know, murder. And it's just like, what in the world is going on with this Old Testament? And um, to the point that some people have even said, you're like, you know what, we just need to kind of throw it out. Like the stumbling block, just throw it out. And we're just going to like, you know, New Testament, that's kind of like what it is um, for all of it. And so you have, you have these thoughts swirling around in our mind, kind of like, well, okay, where does the, and sometimes the Old Testament can kind of become synonymous with Old Covenant. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're under the New Covenant now. So Old Covenant, I mean, who wants something that's, you know, it's like, if we got the New Covenant, what was the Old Covenant? Eh. You know, it's kind of like, when we treat it kind of like, well, we got the new car, so we don't really want to drive the old car, you know, like, it's good to kind of like look back and see where the technology has come, you know, but it's still kind of an old car. And um, I think that's kind of been some of my default thought process in some ways, if I was honest with you, like trying to figure out where this old covenant actually uh, fits in. Um, and there's also been this tension in me kind of like trying to figure out, like, so where is the gospel in the Old Testament? Like kind of like, where, where does that, like, I know like Jesus believed the Old Testament, and there's this connection there somewhere, but there's been that little bit of a tension in me. So, um, and, the, and the element that the Old Testament is sometimes connected with uh, the Old Covenant. But sometimes when I hear people talk about like the Old Covenant kind of relation to the Old Testament, I realized this recently. I was like, it was like lightning bolt. When they say Old Covenant, you know, the question's kind of like, well, which one? You know, there's four covenants in there. There's the covenant that God made with Noah, that he would never destroy the earth that way again. There's the covenant that God made with Abraham about uh, his lineage. There's the covenant that God made with his people Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there's also the covenant that God made with David, um, uh, really quickly, in case someone's kind of like, uh, that's Genesis 9, Genesis 12, Exodus 19 through 24, and Second uh, Samuel 7. Those are those covenants where God came and said, like, I will make a covenant with you to do this if you do this. So kind of the thought of like, okay, well, so, so maybe the old, it's not maybe old covenant because there's several of them to kind of, where do those all fit in with the new covenant? Um, I'm going to give you some good news and bad news. The good news is that that has kind of been a question and a wrestle and everything like that for like 3,000 years. Okay, so if you're feeling the wrestle, that's okay, because that's kind of like been a wrestle for people for a long time. The bad news is it's been a wrestle for people for about 3,000 years, you know? Have you ever, um, I got married a couple years ago, and, you know, uh, which is great 
uh, Bridget is wonderful. And so we, uh, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes like in the beginning of like the marriage, you know, I'll be like meeting with someone, I'm like, man, like this part about like, you know, like being married, is just like, I don't understand. And how can, you know, how can, you know, this be a problem? And how can, you know, like women think like this and all this other stuff? And, you know, and you hear, and someone wise to me, be like, yeah, you know, guys have been wondering that for like thousands of years. I'm like, that's not helpful. You know, like I needed an answer, not kind of like, well, you know, people have always, you know, it's like, that's actually not encouraging at all. Um, so we're kind of setting the stage in between these two tensions of where is, we know we're in this new covenant that Jesus enacted through his blood. And where's the connection to the Old Testament? Because this is, like I said, it's been a question for about 3,000 years. And this is really exemplified um, in the book of Galatians. Um, and the book of Galatians starts like many books where it's kind of like we're thrown right into the middle of something, which I actually really like. I hate it when authors tell you everything. I just like get into it. I'll figure it out. That's my personality. So what we know when we kind of start Galatians is that Paul knows these Galatians. Yeah, he knows them. <laughs> we'll just go. He knows them, and they've got some sort of a history together, and uh, he's visited them at least once, okay? And verse 6, uh, which I don't think I gave them, uh, he basically, uh, Paul comes in absolutely swinging uh, to these Galatians. Let's see if this is big enough for iPad and Bible. Yes, ish. And he says, I'm, this is in Galatians, and he starts in verse six. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he says that again. So, I mean, that is like, like Paul is not messing around. He literally has said like, all right, so this is Paul. I'm writing this in the name of Jesus. And hey, like comes down and is like, what is going on? Like if, if anyone is preaching any other gospel than this, let him be thrown out, separated, completely like moved out. It's kind of like, you know, just a thousand, he's the guy who comes out of like the left corner, you know, in boxing, just like, like, you know, swinging, just like a Hail Mary right away, just absolutely going for it. And so why is he so ferocious on this attack? He's just like immediately like going after it. And the reason why is because what you believe really does matter. And what you believe determines how you interact with reality. It doesn't determine reality. Like, it doesn't matter if you think you can fly when you jump out that 15-story window, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, in this book, it says reality is what you hit after you fall for a couple seconds, you know? But, like, it matters how you interact with it. It's like two blind people going through the, uh, I actually was going to draw this. I drew it in my journal. I was like, is this drawing good enough to put up there and illustrate it? And it was not. So I'm just going to explain it to you. 
It's like two blind people are going through the forest and they both encounter a, a brick wall, okay? And one blind guy goes, you know, I believe that when you hit the brick wall, that's as far as you can go, you're done, you just need to head back. And the other, and the other blind person says, well, I know that I believe when you hit a brick wall that there's a door somewhere on the brick wall and to search until I find it, okay? Same scenario, what they believe is going to determine how they interact with reality. Um, so you may ask, like, well, then what were the Galatians believing that made Paul come out swinging so hard? And that would be a very good question. But I'm not really going to ask for that right now. Um, sometimes better than, like, what were they believing? Maybe the question would be, like, well, what was important to them? Okay? Because what's important to them is going to affect maybe how they're believing something like that. So what was so important to the Galatians is one word, inheritance. That's what they were concerned about. They wanted to know that they were part of this massive story and they were inside the inheritance of what God had given to Abraham that was passed down to them. That's what they were concerned about. That was, that was the deal. They wanted to know that they were part of what God had said to Abraham. So for that, let's turn really quickly to Genesis 15. If you already bookmarked that, awesome. I'm just going to illustrate. Uh, we're going to kind of go through this really, really quickly because Paul kind of takes this part to task. And, but so you got to understand this Abraham covenant to kind of understand where we're going. So this is uh, Genesis 15. He says, uh, five, and this is God and Abraham. And he says, and he brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he says to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's super important. Let's try to keep that verse kind of in our mind. The next kind of like inauguration of this covenant with Abraham um, is 17, uh, starting in verse 6. And for those people who are like really math-focused and they're like, hey, he skipped 16. Good catch. We will come back to it. Um, Genesis 17, starting in verse 6, he says, I, uh, that's God, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. Remember that? And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Okay? So they were this is this is what the entire all of the Hebrews at Galatia were concerned about. They were like this inheritance, their understanding of their connection to the promise of God, to this inheritance. Um, and then verse 11 kind of, verse 11 is really pivotal because it, it tells us how they would know that they were part of this tribe of Abraham. And one of those things is that uh, their, boy, their, their baby boys would be circumcised on the eighth day, eighth day, okay? That's like, and that's like, that's, 
all over in the Bible, it's like, you know, they, the Hebrew people were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. And that was like a dividing line, okay? So that's also really pivotal. So we've got this inheritance that they're so concerned about. And how do you know that you're part of that? Well, one element is circumcision, okay? Um, let's pause here really briefly to say that it's sometimes really easy when we get into this, because Paul's about to take them to task for the whole circumcision thing, because they were requiring believers, Gentile believers. They, there were some that were coming in and saying, Gentile believers, you need to be circumcised because you need to prove that you're part of this tribe. I was like, Shh. I mean, when's the last time like your GT leader was like, you know, Joe, you know, where are we at here? You know, like, are you, are, you know, we got to know. You're going to have to prove something like that. You know, it's like, so we can kind of like draw this weird divide where it's like, I mean, they were so concerned about that. I mean, that's kind of stupid. Like those stupid, those foolish Galatians. Yeah, they, Paul should be mad. But you know what I realized is the people at Galatia were so accustomed to their habits, their culture, their nationalistic identity, that they were finding it impossible to let go of these inner habits and their understanding of God to come free to see what the scripture was plainly telling them. I'm going to say that one more time. These were people that were so attached to their habits, their culture, their nationalistic identity, that they were finding it almost impossible to separate far enough away from that to see what the Bible was truly telling them. Because I get it. You may be thinking like, well, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling super connected like to the Old Testament, you know, the laws and things like that. I'm not looking to go home and sacrifice a goat, maybe eat a goat, you know, but not sacrifice it. So let me just try to bring this a little bit closer uh, to home. How many of us were raised in the South? How many of us were raised in Winston-Salem? Born? Hey, that's like three times the national average. So I'm, I was born here. Um, you can essentially read through Galatians. And everywhere that it says um, not to be under the law or to set aside the law or all of these things, because they're looking back to the law that God established, the Ten Commandments, all of that, the Second Covenant, uh, Third Covenant that God established. And you could basically replace this thought process of how we connect with God, their mentality of what is righteousness. Okay, that's what the law was. It was their idea of righteousness. How does that happen? And we could basically read through this, and everywhere it says the law, we could kind of replace that in our mind with... Uh, good boy, good girl, Southern Christian culture, okay? Because we, like the Galatians, can have a habit of doing things that appear to be Christian, but we mistake our culture that looks like Christianity for actually Christian culture, okay? So we're really not that far off of we have these ways that we think things are supposed to happen, 
Is that actually what God is saying? Okay? And I can exemplify this. Um, there is a danger for each of us having been a Christian so long that we are on autopilot where we know the form of godliness more than we know God. Where godly activity to us becomes a law that we judge ourselves by. Because we know it so well, right? And it becomes this way that we do everything. Kind of a brief example here. Have you ever been hanging out with somebody? I have. <laughs> and, you know, they'll say something like, oh man, this person is so amazing. They're so kind. They're so sweet. They're so loving. They're so forgiving. They volunteer all the time. It's almost like they're a Christian. They just don't need Jesus. Well then, like, how close to being a Christian are they? Because we're not a people that can be determined if you're a Christian by dress, nation you're born in, race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. We're only a people because of what we believe. That determines what a Christian is. Is this kind of connecting like this external display that we judge others and ourselves by because of the culture and the nationalistic identity we have that can be separate from the gospel. And guess what? It makes it really confusing for people that don't understand the gospel because they may think they're Christians. Some of us may think we're Christians because this external example, that's exactly what was going on in Galatia. We have to fight to not let familiarity with the gospel become so ingrained that we act the part while missing the power. So Paul really goes to task on this. And he comes in with two big weapons, that two big thought weapons, idea weapons, belief weapons that he uses to combat this idea. He comes in with two, and they're basically in Galatians 2 and 3, and he comes in with faith, and promise. Okay, so faith is like the, which way do you box? No, okay. Yeah, so faith is the, uh, obviously I don't fight. Okay, whatever. So, you know, so faith is the left jab, you know, and promise is going to be this right hook. Don't fight me after the like, oh, he's an easy target. Um, you know, and Paul takes this so strongly to task that he eventually tells the Galatians later in the book, he says, if you receive circumcision, Christ is no benefit to you. He's saying, if you rely on this understanding of that you can do these cultural things to become right with God, then Christ crucified is no benefit to you. So he is like coming out swinging, my boy. Um, so let's, we're going we're gonna to examine, for the rest of this time, we're going to examine those two weapons, faith and promise, faith and promise that he just takes the task to war against this cultural identity. And we're going to start in uh, Genesis 2, 15 through 16. Are we, rem are we remembering kind of like back to Genesis where he said, um, you know, I'm going to give you this amazing inheritance. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm establishing a covenant between you, me, your offspring, uh, yeah, 
So let's jump in here. 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of good Southern, good boy, cultural Christian identity. Because by works of good boy, good girl, Southern Christian moral identity, no one will be justified. We can jump down to uh, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through these good boy, good girl, Southern Christian hospitality, bless your heart, identity, then Christ died for no purpose. Not Ruby. Good. Okay. And he's, He's saying if if Christ, if if it could, if salvation could come through these good works, through the law, through doing these things, then Christ died for no reason. When's the last time you really preached that to yourself? It's like, get to the end of the day, feeling good, <laughs> you're like, you know what? It's only because of Christ. I need to stay on that. And he kind of, last element of this, uh, one of my favorite passages is the beginning of chapter three. I'm going to read it. It's nine verses. I'll go quick. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's saying, you saw it. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of being a good boy, good girl, Southern Christian culture, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by striving to be able to do the right thing? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is where he's, he's starting to build this case. And we read it. It said that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then that, the, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. He's getting at the inheritance here. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, everyone will be blessed, all the nations. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that word blessed there was so key for these Galatians. They're like, oh, I received the inheritance. The inheritance comes by faith. You know, um, I'm not going to spend too much more time on this. I think it's important to understand these two weapons he's coming in because the realization that we are connected to Jesus through faith, I think we're actually really good at. Okay? It's not like it's so ingrained in our culture. It's like Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's this understanding that we come to Jesus through faith. Um, 
You know, it's the, uh, we walk out our salvation in fear and trembling, like it says in Philippians 2.12. So we're going to kind of move past through this faith part, because I really want to focus on the next part, because we have faith, wait, we have faith and promise. Um, if faith is the element that we say, okay, I choose now. Okay, good. I saw something. I was like, oh, no. Um, if faith is the element that is our response, then the promise is the grace of God. You know, there isn't anything less um, or what more? There's nothing, there's no situation where you'll have less power than um, trying to force someone to keep a promise to you. Someone's going to keep a promise to you if they choose to or if they don't choose to. And even if you could somehow like wrangle them into a, like, keep this promise to me. You know, that's not actually keeping the promise, right? Promise, someone keeping a promise to you is complete grace. It's complete mercy. You have no control over whether they're going to do it or not. So he goes through a little bit more of... um, The righteous shall live with faith here in Galatians. We're going to pick up in 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once he's been ratified. It's like once a covenant's in place, it's in place. No one's changing it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And then I love how Paul breaks it down. He goes, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. What he's saying here is the promise that God made to Abraham that through your offspring, through your singular offspring, through Christ, all the nations will be blessed. That even though there came the law, Moses, the Ten Commandments, all of those things afterwards, it doesn't go back and change to what God originally said to Abraham that was a covenant, a promise that through his offspring, Christ, all the nations will be blessed. So okay, that doesn't go back and change that. That stays in place. It was a promise that God was never going to change. So super briefly, why the law? Why the Ten Commandments? Super... Paul basically breaks it down here. And what it kind of was, was at the time, do not covet, do not steal, do not commit murder was pretty revolutionary. That's why. 
He says, because things were so bad, the iniquity was so bad that he put that in place to try to keep his people. You can read that. That's the rest of that. Let's jump over actually to 23. We're going to just look at one more example of this promise here. And then we're going to kind of land. Galatians uh, 3.23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You have received it because of God's goodness and faithfulness thousands of years ago to one man that said, through you, I am going to bless all the nations. That it was God's original intent. Paul is connecting these elements together. He's saying, in order to you to be part of this family, there is this faith, just like Abraham, there's faith that he received that resulted in righteousness, and then this, there is this promise that if you are in Christ, you are part of this promised covenant to restore the world through Jesus. We are the result of what God was promising to Abraham through the offspring of Jesus Christ in the very beginning. Um, and then Paul goes into this, this next section um, in chapter four that honestly is like an entire sermon. And um, raise your hand if you want. I, I will not kind of go into a second sermon here, but Chapter four, it's, it's this illustration that they would know so well, just really quickly, between Hagar and Sarah, and where they said, okay, we've got to make this promise happen, and they strived with uh, their uh, Sarah's servant, Hagar, to produce this offspring uh, when God said that he would establish it through Sarah. And it's this picture of striving to make our inheritance, our rightness with God, our understanding of God, being made right with God. It's this striving to make it happen, how we think maybe could kind of somehow happen instead of relying on what God said, no, I'm going to do it through Sarah. That's the way it's going to happen. That's the promise. That's the promise. You can strive, but it's the promise. And that's the way it's actually going to happen. So what? <laughs> kind of like, you know, and there's all these amazing understandings. This is really briefly, um, you know, this promise element of the gospel is something that I don't feel like I ever saw before uh, a couple months. And it has really revolutionized the way um, 
I walk and encounter the God, God on a daily basis. It completes this entire book because it lays out how the promise that God made to fill the earth, to be God to a people of many nations, is fulfilled in Jesus. It completes it. And because it's the two, uh, not two sides of the gospel, um, it's two elements of the gospel. It's two beautiful, perfect, complete ideas of the gospel, which is faith, which is faith, which is your response to the gospel of salvation, and it is promise, God's grace extended in salvation before we ever breathed. It's promise and faith. It's what God has done that we can never do and our response to that. Promise and faith. And you see this in a couple places. I'm just going to really briefly do this. Ephesians 2.9 says uh, very famously, for by grace, which is promise, you have been saved through faith. Your response. It's what God has done before you could ever have thought to need it, promising this to Abraham, and now you respond in faith to what God's original purpose of salvation was. And Philippians 2.12, it says, "Work uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's that promise. He says, like, work it out, but it's actually God who works in you. It's the grace of God who fills you to respond in faith to do it. Grace and faith, promise and our response. So as we close here, how has it kind of revolutionized my life in some ways? Uh, Want to tell you one thing? Uh, So... Remember how I was saying everybody disagrees on everything? <laughs> um, I was reading through, and there's this guy. Um, did I put his name? Uh, da, da, da. No, but he wrote a book called Irresistibility. And it's basically like, you know, you wonder, um, like in Acts, Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to God, like come to salvation. It's like all over. And he's, basically his query was, where is the irresistibility of the gospel now? Like, where is that? And um, I think a lot of that has to do that without the understanding that God established this promise, that he is in the act of fulfilling his own promise, his own covenant to the people, and we are grateful recipients of that. It's kind of like Jesus just kind of comes into the New Testament sideways. It's kind of like, all this stuff happened, and then Jesus, and you're like, and now we believe Jesus, and, and that's kind of it. Without this reception of I am a byproduct of something that Jesus, that God dreamed up thousands and thousands of years ago to bring and establish salvation on the earth through his offspring, Jesus. And it transforms me out of this like, well, am I respond like, you know, just the faith, just my response element, and it removes my imposter syndrome with the gospel. 
it removes this like idea of like, man, like, I don't know. I mean, according to culture, you know, this, and I need to this. And did I strive, you know, did I do this? Did I complete this? Am I having enough faith? And, and it turns into like, God's like, are you kidding me? For thousands of years, I've had this in my mind that I wanted to graft you and I wanted to welcome you, that all the nations would be blessed. Like if God's kept his promise for these thousands and thousands of years to complete this work, is he going to break it now that I like didn't respond in a way? Do you see what I'm saying? Like it, it in such a beautiful way returns us to just like, God, it, you did it. Like you did it. Like I res- I'm only responding because of what you established, what you did, what you said, because of your goodness to keep and hold the promise you said in the originally, you've kept it all that way and you're gonna keep it with me now. I know I can come before you in faith and be made righteous. Grace and faith. His promise, my response. The other thing that's so important about it, besides I think how it revolutionizes and connects this together, is you can't give away what you don't have. And if our entire walk with God has turned into this kind of like, I've got to get this faith, I've got to believe, I've got to, you know, and it turns into this, and there's not the realization that's like, you know, now I get to walk around and be like, man, that person who's sitting at the front desk, they could receive the promise. God's put it up. He's offered it. He said he's going to make the entire world. He's going to bless all these nations through his son, Jesus Christ. They could just receive the promise if they just respond. And it changes my mentality to like, I've got to get them to have the faith that like responds. And it's like, man, God, it is the grace of God that this promise has been fulfilled through all of these years, and it's culminated and been completed in the work of Jesus Christ. It changes. It's like the, it's like the gospel. <laughs> it's like the gospel. It's Jesus. God is so good and so loving that he established, he promised he would do it in the very beginning. And now, just like tracing, he, we see the fly. Not, Jesus is not a fly, you know, but like the fly, it's like, so Jesus comes, he establishes salvation and glory, and, and we get to go all the way back to see the entire story of the goodness of God holding and keeping to this covenant that is established in Jesus. And we just get to respond to what thousands of years of people have been waiting for. So in closing, when's the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? In the shower, car ride, into work, wherever, where you just said, God, I have received this completely out of grace, completely out of your decision to establish this for me. And now I respond in faith receiving my salvation from you. We just preach it to yourself. You just speak it to yourself out loud. I was telling the, uh, the young adult community, like you throw on like a instrumental hip hop mixtape and you just like try to freestyle it. You know, you just like, you just get it ingrained in you. We're actually going to do that all together. Can we put that music on? Just kidding. 
but you just you just preach it. You preach it. You're like, I'm a recipient of grace. God's idea in the original beginning that he put in place, knowing I would be here and I get to respond in faith. It changes. It really has changed me. We have to fight to not let familiarity with the gospel become so ingrained that we can act the part while missing the power. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.